Hello, friends. My guest today is a fucking great guy. This guy has written a book. He was on the Harlem Globetrotters for 18 years. He's been on the reality television show The Amazing Race three different times. My guest, Herb Flighttime Lang. The Jeremy Clawson Adventure. What's up, man? Oh, man, I'm doing great, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on your show, man. I appreciate it. No, hey, it's all good. How's it going? It's going good, man. Just uh, just enjoying my day. You know, just got back from from a nice little workout in the gym, working on my fitness as always, even though I'm not playing basketball anymore. It's still important that I, you know, look good in my clothes now since I don't have to worry about looking good in my uniform. When did you hang it up? Well, actually, uh, my career ended about t- just over two years ago. You know, I had a good good 18-year uh, career with the Globetrotters, traveled to about 90 different countries around the world. You know, I had an opportunity to make you know, a difference in so many people's lives, make so many people smile. So, you know, all good things must come to an end at some point. And we know as professional athletes that one of the things that we can't do is play our professional sport forever at the highest level. Man, 18 years. How many games did you lose at the Gold Charters? Zero? I am happy to say that, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, when I was in, when I was in, um, in high school, I, I had a pretty good high school team. I come from a small town. Uh, in Arkansas, Brinkley, Brinkley, Arkansas, and we had a pretty good, you know, winning, winning levels. But once I got to college, um, I think I probably had four losing seasons. You know, we had decent teams and we done well within our conference. But whenever we'd have to go out and play like the big schools back then in the mid 90s, it was University of Arkansas, uh, teams like that who had won the national championships, teams like University of New Mexico, just some of those big teams. Um, yeah. We would have to play those money games and those would pretty much be L's for us. But I am happy to say that eventually I was able to jump on with a team who rarely loses. And during my 18-year career with the Globetrotters, any time that I stepped onto the basketball court and laced up the tennis shoes, I definitely came out victorious in more ways than one. So I think not many people notice about you, but you were the 1998 Slam Dunk champion, right? Yeah, that's right. I was actually able to, um, you know, by the grace of God and the the, uh, the help of my uh, coach at that time, B- Billy Kennedy, who was uh, recently uh, coaching at Texas A&M for several years. He, Billy Kennedy, yeah. You know, okay. Yeah, Billy Kennedy. He was my, my college coach my okay. senior year uh, at Centenary, and he actually, you know, helped me submit a uh, video and got me in touch with the right people that got me into the college dunk contest uh, back in 98 at the Final Four. And, you know, at that time, my school, Centenary College, was the smallest Division One school in the country, so I was definitely the underdog uh, going in. But, you know, all underdogs – have that 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 big big fight in them, and I was able to go out and beat some of the guys from the bigger schools and uh, win the college dunk contest, which probably you know played a bigger role than I'd like to admit in getting me an opportunity to try out with the Globe Charters. Who were some of the guys you went up against? Uh, the guys that I competed against in the dunk contest, some of the notable guys was uh, Felipe Lopez. They just did a okay. documentary on him um, on ESPN, which was pretty crazy because you know I knew a little bit about him when I was growing up and I was coming up playing you know, college sports, as well as in high school. And I knew he was getting all the publicity and, you know, on the cover of Sports Illustrated and all those amazing things. And when I look back at it and after looking at the documentary to realize that they compared him in high school to like Jordan, the way that he could jump and, and shoot, you know, for me to look back and say, man, I beat that guy in a dunk contest. It, it gave me a little bit of extra gratification after 20 years of, um, you know, since we completed the dunk contest. Felipe got- Lopez, Mike. Mike James was another guy. Mike James played at Duquesne um, and eventually won a championship with the with the um, 
with the uh, Detroit Pistons and had a good good NBA career. So yeah, there was a couple guys that I beat out. No, add Ruben that... Patterson. <laughs> who who do you play for? Ruben Patterson. He played for Cincinnati, but he went Bearcats. on to play for the okay. Lakers. He played for Portland. Uh, eventually played for several other teams, but I think the majority of his career was with the Portland Trailblazers. But yeah, those are some of the big name guys who went to some of the big schools um, that I you know had to compete against and actually was able to beat out and um, now, you know, get my opportunity to do that. At that time in your life, when you won that, was that the highlight of your life to that day? Oh, man, absolutely. I, it was like, it was a dream. I mean, I had always dreamed of, of playing on like ESPN and coming from a, <laughs> a small Division One school, we never had an opportunity to play on ESPN. Now, you know, these days, every game is on ESPN. You got ESPN 2, 3, 5, 6, 7, 8. You got all kinds of games being broadcast on national television. I never had a chance to play on ESPN, so to have an opportunity to be a part of that, you know, that weekend, the three-point shootout uh, and the slam dunk contest was something I had been watching for years uh, before I had an opportunity to do it. And so to be able to do that on that stage and, you know, represent my small school as well as my small town and actually be able to uh, come out in victory, it was uh, quite an honor for me to be able to, you know, to do that, to help put my school on the map as well as represent my family and friends on that type of a stage. Yeah, now I know, like, just because you're not playing basketball anymore, I'm not, I'm not stupid. You're a basketball junkie. You have basketball in your fucking blood. Uh, are you trying to get into like coaching or anything? Well, actually, you know, right now, um, I, I my last three or four years with the Globe Trials, I was actually player and coach. I was player coach. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah, I yeah, that. I was player coach. I played and coached. I took several tours, um, international. I did several uh, tours where I was the coach and player on several tours within the United States as well. But uh, since I stepped away from the game of basketball, actually my first year I did a lot of uh, I did a lot of traveling. I, I eventually, you know, just took time off and visited some of the places that I had been to during the course of my career that I didn't really have uh, time to enjoy. Um, so I did a little bit of traveling that first year. And then after that first year was over with, um, I sat down and I decided to, uh, to write a book. And I really haven't been into the, uh, the coaching aspect. It's not something that I'm closing the door on or that I have closed the door on. But right now I'm looking into doing things like uh, public speaking. I'm uh, speaking at elementary schools. I'm speaking at high schools, colleges, universities. Um, that's the route that I'm going right now with the, with the release of my book that I released back in May. Yeah, no, I mean, that's good. Uh, but, like, you watch today's game, like college and NBA. Like, for me personally, I can't watch NBA. I, I just can't. They get away with too much shit, you know. I'm more of a college guy. Is there one in particular that sticks out to you? Or just like, is basketball, basketball, you'll watch anything? Uh, to me, basketball is basketball. I actually okay. probably watch more uh, more NBA than I do college basketball these days. I mean, my favorite time of the year, hands down, is Playoffs. March Madness. Okay, okay. It's March Madness. Yeah, March it's Madness. March Madness. Even more so than the NBA Finals or the playoffs, but it's – I find it with all these things, all the options to watch, you know, college basketball and all the different um, uh, avenues. Now, I just find it hard to focus on certain teams. Now, of course, I definitely watch all the highlights. I root for my Arkansas Razorbacks, not the team that I play for, but the state that I grew up in. Um, always a Razorback fan, but um, I enjoy the game. I mean, I enjoy just watching the kids, you know, out there perform and have an opportunity to do things, do the things that I had a chance to, you know, to do growing up. And, yeah. you know, when it comes to the, to the NBA, I, I think I've become more into professional sports like the NBA and NFL due to uh, fantasy. 
because I do, you know, I do definitely do fantasy football every year. Um, I do fantasy basketball um, a couple times a week during the season just for the fun of it. And I think that's given me more of an attachment to um, NBA game throughout the course of the year, more so than college uh, college basketball. Yeah, no, uh, this past year, uh, I just graduate, graduated with my master's degree from FDU. And I got to experience their first March Madness tournament. Uh, we went over. To, we went out to Dayton for the first four. We beat, we beat Prairie View. Uh, you know that's the thing that you know stick with me the rest of my life. You know that experience. Got on a charter plane right after. Went to Salt Lake City. Then we got whooped by the Zags of Gonzaga. But you know going out to Salt Lake and seeing uh, Kansas play, Bill Self, Syracuse, Jim Beheim. You know I think Auburn was in there too with Bruce Pearl. So you know right. just I'm a I'm a big basketball guy, man, and. You know, seeing March Madness on TV and witnessing it in person, you know, going behind the scenes with the press conferences and the locker rooms, you know, March Madness, you just can't compete with that, I think. There's there's nothing like it. I mean, what they say, that's probably the time of the year when um, most people call in sick. <laughs> all, all kinds of people stop showing up for work during that during that first week of March Madness. I don't think there's anything that, you know, that compares to it. And, you know, there's a lot of a lot of drama, a lot of. Um, memories that are made there and a lot of money made during that time yeah. as well. Yeah, you know, I know like college basketball now is a lot of these agents are getting involved and, you know, the money scandals, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that and how are some ways, you know, the NCAA they can try to avoid that? Like for me personally, I don't think athletes should get paid. There's no way to make it fair to pay college basketball players, college football players, college swimmers, track and field athletes, there's no way you can make it a fair share throughout all the athletes. Well, I mean, I, mean, I think that, that there, where there's a will, there's a way. There's a way to make anything, you know, anything happen. I mean, there's a lot of people up at the top who are making a lot of money, yeah. and these athletes aren't getting anything. And as a former, you know, I'm definitely grateful to know that, I, you know, I was able to graduate college and go through college and not actually have to pay any money back. But one of the things that I had, growing up I mean I grew up I didn't have a lot of money growing up so when I got to college one of the first things that I noticed is all of these credit card vendors getting me to sign up for credit cards and I didn't know any better you know I had to discover card over here for a t-shirt uh you know MasterCard over here for a cup um you know just all these different and I wasn't educated enough about that so by the time I graduated from college I'm in debt I'm four or five thousand dollars in debt yeah you know because I didn't have the finances but the people up top not that I went to a big, big school that made a lot of money, but there were people who were getting paid, you know, and, and people were paying to come to the games, um, you know, that were benefiting. So the way I see it is, I know you talk about the swimmers and the track and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it has to be based on how much sport, is, how much is your, you know, your sport generating through the conference. Yeah. And that's the way that you divvy it up, you know. Everything is not going to be equal or the same. It's just the sport that you chose to play or that you excelled in. That's just how it works. That's how, you know, that's supply and demand. College football is probably the most profitable, you know, college sport. Basketball maybe I don't know which what order that it comes in, but that's just the way it has to go. But um, there's guys are making millions of dollars. And some of these kids, like with the likeness, like I live in California now, and I'm totally okay with these kids being able to get paid off of their likeness. Why not, you know? The, Didn't the they just pass something? Selling. Yeah, they they well, I think they're waiting for the governor to potentially sign sign on it to make it um go into 
into action. But I mean, I was just reading the other day where the uh, the head coach at at University University of Virginia he turned down Anybody? the raise. He said, yeah. He, "Yeah, he would rather that money go to his staff yeah, or that. whatnot." And so, I mean, that's just some these coaches. Some of them have so much money to where it makes why not? Why not give the kids a little bit of money, especially in these sports that are generating so much, so much money? I just think because I mean, like I said, I grew up with nothing, and I am one hundred percent grateful that I went to college. I graduated. I didn't owe anybody any money, but a lot of kids come from similar backgrounds to me. But then you have kids that come up with, you know, silver spoon in their mouth, so to speak, and they don't need that. And so I think that a lot of the backlash is coming from people who didn't potentially grow up with that struggle and not being able to, or coming out of college with credit card debt or not really having a, a, a car to drive around, uh, so to speak, or not having money to go to a, uh, see a movie or buy a new pair of shoes if you wanted it. When at the yeah. same time you look into the stands and you see, you know, a number four jersey, maybe my name's not on the back of it, but everybody know that's me. And they yeah. bought that jersey because it's me. So it's, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of give and take. It could go either way, but I'm definitely for them figuring out some way to compensate. I don't know how much or, or you know, how it should be divvy, but I guess it should be based on how much the the sports are bringing in within each conference. And you just break it up like that. But it has yeah. to be an even distribution. One of my favorite ESPN features of all time was that the Fab Five and how, you know, you got Jalen Rose and Juwan Howard talking about how they had no money and how they had boosters asking them, uh, you know, we'll give you money if you remember us later on in the NBA. Jalen's like, yeah, okay, we'll remember you. Thanks for the money. Right. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I, I'm just kind of, how do you think, because I think there's more money in college football than college basketball. You really don't yeah. see these stories in college football, but obviously I'm sure they're happening. How yes. do you think, <laughs> I mean, how do you think those guys keep us quiet right now? Well, I don't know how they keep it quiet because I was never offered offered any money, you know, at my school to play. But um, I was I was actually just reading the other day. I hate to keep talking about reading, but I was reading about how, you know, Reggie, Reggie Bush, he now works for, for Fox. And basically USC has banned him from their campuses or anything oh. affiliated with USC. But this weekend, he's going back to USC as an analyst. And the people at USC like, okay, we can welcome him in that capacity. But like he said, a lot of these kids that come to this school right now, they're still coming because of what myself and Matt Liner did during our days of, you know, heyday of winning, you know, national championships and going to national championship games. Yeah, of course he, he took some money. He was in a situation, I assume, to where his family needed the money and he took it, you know. But at the same time, some of those same people that are writing him off and told him that he couldn't come, you know, to the campus. I bet there were millionaires back then living in nice houses uh, down there in Southern California, million dollar mansions. But at the same time, he's he should be, you know, grateful because he was able to to, uh, you know, place the sport for free while they were able to capitalize off of his likeness during that whole, you know, three year career or two year career that he was at USC. So, I mean, that's just kind of the way I see it. So you're saying Reggie Bush wasn't allowed on campus prior to this or? Oh, he's been banned. He's been banned, banned from USC. Oh yeah. Yeah. This was something that I just uh, read. They were talking about it popped up on my, you know, didn't know my... that. Yep. And so well, this will be his first time back um, in that environment at USC in like nine or 10 years, I think. Is Chris Weber banned in Michigan? I'm not sure about that, but I think that there's some beef amongst the uh, the Fab Five with yeah yeah with Chris Weber. I don't know all the details of it, but I mean, 
I am, you know, I, like I said, they'll they're gonna have to figure out a way anyway because it's gonna come to that. You know, hey, every, uh, every. Did you see the latest NBA news with uh, Lonzo Ball and his father, Lavar? You know, right before we got on the phone, I was just listening to um, Shannon Sharp talk about, you know, the the, the triple B and uh, uh, and all that. So I don't know all the details about it. What what was what are the details about it? Because I know that Lonzo is pretty much distancing himself, and a lot of people are saying that the you know that the the injuries that he um, you know got during the Lakers were as a result of those horrible shoes uh, that he was wearing at that time. And you know his dad seemed to have his own agenda at sometimes and just wanted to, you know, promote that brand and make money while not necessarily looking out for the, you know, the welfare of his son's physical fitness, knowing that he was out there with a, with a shoe that wasn't adequate uh, to, you know, play at that level on. Yeah. So they had that Facebook show, the ball and the family, which is, it's actually a very good show. Uh, yeah. I watched most of it. I haven't yeah, watched yeah, the last no. couple of seasons, but I watched a lot of it. It's uh, it's really good. And the episode that came out on Sunday Lonzo met with his dad and his two new guys, the marketing guy, and I think a PR guy. And Lonzo just basically said, you know, about changing the name. I don't think he was stating it. It was just a question. And LeVar just went off on him. Uh, and he mentioned about how, you know, he's been damaged goods and should change his name to, like, Alfonso, but he doesn't do it. So, you know, it's just the whole damaged goods line part was really – I mean, that's just interesting. And then he was saying about how – he got them there. LeVar got the boys to be famous, and it's their job to, you know, stay there or get bigger and bigger, which, you know, I'm kind of torn, like, torn about. Uh, I don't know if it's just a thing for, like, the cameras because the whole the reality TV segment of it, but LeVar released a statement uh, yesterday, last night, about saying how it was taken out of context, and he's actually in New Orleans right now with Lonzo, and their relationship has never been better. Which I don't see how I mean, I'm not saying it's bad, like a bad relationship, but you know, there's definitely friction there, or at least there was. Uh, you know, I'm a Lonzo fan. I right. do like Lonzo, and it's just interesting because last week Lonzo appeared on the, on the Josh Hart podcast, I believe it was, and he yep. was saying about how his shoes were like at the the Zo two or the Zo ones. He had he was change changing like every quarter. Every quarter, you see that? Yeah, yeah. I like, saw that. So, I mean, so <laughs> maybe that has to deal with some of Lonzo's ankle injuries he's had. Because I think he's had what two ankle injuries past years. Yeah. So I, I mean, it's just, uh, I don't even know. Now Melo's out in Australia right now, which I'm a big fan of Melo too. Uh, I think he's going to be a top ten pick in the NBA draft. Uh, I mean, it's just that whole. It, I don't know. The ball family right now is not in a good spot right now. I don't think I am. I am, you know, with, you know, with the dad, I am a big, I'm a, I'm a fan of the way that he raised his kids, the way that he took yep. those kids and he's been there for those kids and he's done everything, you know, that he could to get those kids to where they are, you he's know, smart. as humans, as humans, as adults, we make us make mistakes. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, my parents made, made mistakes. They didn't do everything the way that I probably, you know, that we probably think that a parent should do things. And me as a parent, it's the same way. You know, parents aren't always right. But again, back to Alonzo, I mean, LeVar, I think he's done a great job with these kids. But I think what comes with that also, when you when you are giving to people, uh, not only your kids, when you are giving openly, you can't give expecting something in return, you know. Now, 
like you said, he said that I I made you famous. I did. Okay, that's what you that's what you wanted for us, and you made that happen. And thank you. But don't you don't make the kid feel obligated and make them think that oh because you did all of that for me, I have to do this for you in return. You know, I get to I get to be a part of of what I helped create in you. But you don't owe me anything. I'm okay. You get to do now. You get to live your life, and I get to sit back and be proud of any and everything that you accomplished, not with you feeling like you owe me anything. And I don't, I don't, that's one thing I don't like about, you know, that situation, you know, with him saying, you know, he's damaged goods and, and all that kind of stuff. Lonzo doesn't owe him anything as far as that goes. He decided to have a kid. He raised a kid. You know, he raised a good kid that happened to be a good athlete, great athletes, if you, you know, think about all three of them. And he gets to enjoy the benefits of that. But at the same time, they shouldn't have to feel an obligation to feel like, oh, I have to do this because my dad said so, or because, you know, this is what my dad thinks is the way. No, at some point you have to become your own man, you know, and I think that right now Lonzo's becoming his own man. I see, uh, you know, Melo, he's over in Australia, which is actually a pretty good league. I remember uh, being over there probably about six years ago, and I remember watching some of the games on television and seeing guys like James Ennis, James Ennis who now plays for the Sixers, he was actually yep. playing over there in Perth. Uh, the last time I was over in Australia playing. And so, yeah, it's definitely a good league that's grown over the years. And I've known a few guys uh, that have gone over there and, and, and play in basketball. I mean, obviously, it's, it's really big in Australia, countries like Australia, Argentina, Spain, uh, places that we traveled. I mean, some of the places that we traveled is globe charters. You can definitely tell and feel the vibe that these people know the game of basketball and they, they've got good players coming up. Yeah, so uh, a little fun fact for you. LaMelo Ball's team in Australia right now, their uh, last year, their point guard. So my favorite college basketball team is St. Mary's. You know them? Uh, St. Mary's over here in, in California. California. Yep. Yeah. So here I am, a PA boy, Pennsylvania raised, and I get team all the way out in Moraga, California. Their point guard is what is uh, Emmett Nar, who was a four-year starting point guard for St. Mary's, two-time in the NCAA tournament, four-time – uh, first and second team, all West Coast Conference. So Emmett's a very good player. Emmett's good. Uh, now I saw highlights. Uh, I think on Saturday or Sunday of Mello, and him and Emmett were in the same lineup. So I mean, you know, that's a good league. I think this is a, a much better league than the Lithuanian league. Uh, I, I know a lot of the small schools. You know, they send guys over to like Poland and and Lithuania, and you know, I think. The Australian Basketball League, I think it's probably, what do you think, the second or third best league in the in the world? Yeah, I would definitely yeah put it. I'd def, definitely put it in the top five, top three. Yeah, for sure. And and you know, Australia is not a bad place to to live or visit either. I've been there several times. It's it's one of my favorite favorite countries. It's in my top five as well, as far as that goes. But yeah, man. I mean, I think it's. I mean, he Lavar Ball. I mean, not to keep you know hashing in on LeVar Ball, but I mean, he's done a great job with these kids, and I mean, he's going to have two out of three kids in the NBA, and I mean, that's quite an accomplishment, and he should be proud of that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I do think part of it was the reality show of them trying to tell a story, so I do think part of it was taken out of context, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, with, with reality TV, I've done, I've been on a few reality yep. TV shows, you know, over the course of my life, and uh, there are things that are scripted on TV. And I'm sure that, you know, a lot of things that people, you know, people watch. I mean, even 
I'm not afraid to say that I watch like the Kardashians and the Real Housewives. I, my girlfriend, she likes to watch those things, so of course I'm watching them as well. But I can, I've been on enough shows where I can tell where things are scripted and when they actually happen naturally. Um, you know, my time on The Amazing Race, nothing was scripted. Everything that you saw happened the way it happened. There was no way that they could script me into not winning that million dollars. But a lot of these shows, it's all about bringing the drama. Uh, and if you're not bringing drama, people are not watching. So the more drama that you create, the more people start to talk and the more eyes tend to tune in uh, to your show if you've got that drama. So drama is what sells. So this little beef that LeVar has right now, whatever with Lonzo, I think it's all about uh, about the ratings. And I have no doubt that he's down in New Orleans and, and working with Zoe right now. I'll tell you what, The Amazing Race, that is one of my favorite shows to watch uh, in a season. It's actually, I think they just filmed a new season or it's coming on soon, but Survivor is my number one show, definitely. I'm, I'm a big Survivor guy. Uh, okay. Amazing, Amazing Race is number two, though, and, you know, my parents watch it, my grandparents watch it, you know, a lot of my friends, uh, some do, some don't, but when I think of The Amazing Race, I think of two teams. I think of Jet and Cord. And I think of Flight Time and Big Easy. I mean, that's you guys are right there at the Hall of Fame class of the Amazing Race, and just I just want you to go on and talk a little bit about that. You know, what was that experience like? I mean, you, you did pretty good. I mean, you didn't win it, unfortunately, but I think in a show like that, the opportunity you guys to travel around the world. I mean, you did three seasons on the Amazing Race, so you had to visit at least fifteen through twenty countries just from that. Uh, and, you know, you met a lot of nice people. Just, you know, how was that journey and experience? You know, for me, it was um, the first time that I did the show. It was my 10th year with the Globe Trials. It was 2009. And at that point, I had already been to about 60 different countries around the world. Um, and, and the way I saw it was it was an opportunity for me. You know, the Globe Trials now, I mean, they're almost 95 years uh, in existence. Just having an opportunity to be able to, um, you know, Engrace myself and, and, and engrave my name in the legacy of the Harlem Globetrotters and be able to represent that brand on such a stage and represent my family. That was the, the most exciting thing for me. And to be able to do it three times was, you know, beyond a dream, you know, a dream come true. And the most the most amazing thing I think about the show is once we did the show after the first time, we auditioned to get on the show just like any other team, myself and Big Easy. We auditioned. We, you know, sent video in. The video still on YouTube. We sent the video in. We had to fly to L.A. several times to be in front of the CBS casting and producers uh, to actually interview to see if we were a good fit for the show. And I can remember them telling me in Big Easy at one point, look, we have plenty of celebrity teams that want to be a part of this show. So we're not letting you on this show just because you're Globetrotters. You yeah. guys have to be, you know, show us a certain personality. And we have to believe that you guys are friends. And we were. You know, and we still are to this day, but we didn't realize that before because we hadn't been in any type of business um, or TV shows or anything like that. But I mean, the experience, first of all, the, the biggest pressure for us was don't get eliminated first. OK, it's always. Yep. <laughs> because it's always coming coming back to that locker room, having to come back to that locker room, knowing that we got eliminated first. I don't know if my career would have went 18 years. It probably would have ended after that 10th year. So. After that, you know, during that first season, once our goal was to make it at least halfway through. And we made it halfway through. We almost got eliminated, but we were able to make it all the way through uh, to where we finished fourth. But one of the most gratifying things for myself from that experience, the second and third 
experience, especially after that first one was it was just being able to to go back into the to the arenas and, and to hear the feedback from the people who, you know, who watched the show Watch from, from the people who who had, you know, been fans of the Globetrotters for years. Some people were like, man, we didn't even know the Globetrotters were still in existence until we seen you guys on The Amazing Race. And, the, you know, the kids and the families would come up and say, you know, we just want to let you guys know that we're here because we love the Globetrotters and you guys gave us something that we could watch each and every week with our family. You guys show great teamwork. You didn't fight. You show what, what having fun and sportsmanship is all about. And we heard that more throughout the arenas across the United States and Canada, you know, more than I had ever heard during my whole, you know, 10 year career about the way that we represented ourselves, represented the brands. We showed, you know, kids and families that you can actually be competitive and have fun. And our whole thing was, you know, we have to be ourselves. And at the end of the day, we can't be going on the show acting no fool because we got a pretty good job that we still get to come back to when it's all said yep. and done. So <laughs> that was important for us as well, you know, to just make sure that we represent that brand that has, you know, such high character and has such high respect around the world and make sure that we're doing something that's going to uh, build the brand up so that the guys that are coming after us will be able to have some of the same opportunities that we have been given. Because before then, it had been a while before any Globetrotters have been on, you know, national television uh, shows, especially prime time each and every Sunday night. Yeah, no, man. I mean, like I said, I think you guys and Jet and Cord are the top two most notable contestants on the amazing race and you know i think and they were my favorite and those guys were my favorite all-time team jet and gordon even oh we, i'm telling you even though yeah. even even though we had to eliminate them we had to give them a u-turn uh in that second uh, second or third season a lot of people we took a lot of backlash for that but what they don't know is that uh when i watched their season because they came on after us uh we did season 15 i think their first season was 16 and i remember watching like man i like those guys and you know to be able to race with them was 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 amazing and cool to be able to race with your favorite team. But yeah, those were, that was my favorite team. And I'm glad to hear that we were at least your second favorite team. If not, no, man, I'm telling you, I mean, you guys are well liked. You're funny. You got, I mean, you can tell, I mean, a lot of these teams are, they're married, their boyfriend, girlfriend, mother, daughter, brother, sister. You guys had a chemistry about you. That, I mean, it just, you guys clicked instantly and you guys are awesome to watch. fun to watch, but I mean, Here's what I have to know. You guys are Harlem Globetrotters. You're in your eighth year, I think you said, seventh, eighth, ninth year of the Globetrotters. What made you and Big Easy say, you know what, I'm going to apply for the Amazing Race? All right, so this is what happened. So um, my first seven, eight years with the Globetrotters, I was was never on any um, promo videos. I was never on the cover of any of the uh, the brochures that they sold at the games. I was never featured on any, you know, TV shows or anything. But what happened was uh, my, say my seventh or eighth year, new ownership came in. We had a company called Shamrock. It was a, a hedge fund company. They came in and bought the Globe Charters. And with that came a new president. The president at that, that time that came in, his name was Kirk Snyder. So Kirk Snyder. Oh, Kirk Snyder. Okay. Yeah. Kirk Snyder had already been scouting the Globetrotters and coming to games. We didn't know what was going on. We were just players going out there doing our jobs each and every night. And so once Kirk actually came, Kirk actually came in and took over the job as the president of the Globetrotters, one of his goals was he said that I want to create stars. I want to create what they had back in the 70s and 80s with the Metal Arc Lemon, you know, the Curly Neils. 
I want people to be able to recognize you guys, not only when you're in the arena, but I want them to be able to recognize you when you're walking through the airport with your regular clothes on. And so with that came the hiring of a uh, uh, media team in L.A. And so they came to us with a bunch of ideas of different shows, which included, you know, Amazing Race and Survivor. So there was myself, Big Easy. Uh, there was uh, my other teammate, Special K and um, Scooter. Uh, we both, Big Easy and I, we submitted a video together, me and him, because we were on tour together. And uh, Special K and Scooter, they were on tour together on the other side as the dribbler and the showman, so to speak, who are typically the stars of the Globe Trotter show. So me and Big Easy, we're friends. I mean, we have come from similar backgrounds. My coach, Billy Kennedy, who coached me my senior year at Centenary, was Big Easy's coach his last two years at Southeastern. And Big Easy led them to the tournament. Mm -hmm. And so once Big Easy came in, was uh, Coach Carlin said, I got a guy coming in. You know, I want you to take him up under your wings and make sure things work out for him. So immediately once he came in, we already had a connection. So we became friends. We were already hanging out for a couple of years before this opportunity came. But when the opportunity came, we took advantage of it. We was like, this is this is the show that I want to try. They gave us a, a list of Survivor. Oh, I don't know if I want to do that one. I would, but this is my favorite show. Amazing Race, when it came out, was my favorite show. I don't know if Big Easy knew as much about it as I did at that time. But we submitted the video. I think it was a great video. Uh, the first one we did, I didn't think it was that great. I said, we need to do this again because we need <laughs> to get on the show. So we ended up doing the video and we sent it in. They act, I mean, they loved it. Like I said, they, they flew us in. And, you know, the rest is history. So, I mean, after your first season, you guys are a big hit. You're a big success. Did you know when you came in fourth place, you hit the mat and Phil said you were eliminated? Did you know there was going to be a chance or an opportunity that for a second time? I mean, obviously, you never know. But did you have a feeling like, hey, maybe, like, yeah, like maybe I think it can happen? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. hey, you guys, are, you guys are lucky. I mean, a lot of people yeah. that do reality TV, they do it one time and it's like they're on cloud nine. Thank God. You know, I'm famous now. You guys have done it not once. Not twice, but three times. I mean, you guys are so lucky, fortunate. I mean, I mean, you know, you guys do it for the right reasons too, which I think is people need to know about. Uh, just, I mean, three seasons of the Amazing Race. Like, how did that happen? Like the second and third the, seasons. The way that it happened, like I said, the first time that we uh, auditioned for the show, we went through all of the same processes that. Anybody else that wanted to get on that show, I mean, we did, of course, have a leg up that we were Globetrotters and we had that Harlem Globetrotter across our chest during the audition video. But it was after that first time that we did, it was like, man, that was great. I wish we could have won. We had a good run. Everybody's happy with what we did. We helped, you know, bring a little bit of uh, more popularity to the uh, to the Globetrotters, to the younger generation who probably hadn't, you know, heard of the Globetrotters or don't remember the Globetrotters. But then I remember... The second time they called, we were like, for real? You guys want to do the show again? <laughs> yeah, we're doing we're doing that unfinished business. Teams that have, you know, done the show before and just came up a little bit short. We're putting together teams that, uh, you know, came close and didn't win. Are you guys down? Of course we're down to do it again. You know, a, a chance to represent again our families, uh, the Harlem Globe try to brand on national television on such a stage. Of course we wouldn't do it again. End up coming in second place. We're like, man. We had an even better run. I can't believe it. We came so close to winning a million dollars. And then I think two years passed 
And I remember exactly where I was the third time we got the call. I was in Buenos, Buenos Aires, Argentina, and I was inside of a Burger King, and I got an email <laughs> saying it was from, you know, from the uh, casting of The Amazing Race. Hey, just wondering if you guys were thinking about doing another um, all-star show, would you guys be interested? And the funny thing about it is that our PR guy, his name's Brett Meister, I remember calling him. I said, hey, man, guess what? Amazing Race wants us to do it again. He said, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because for them, of course, it's a it's millions of dollars of free publicity each and every week. Yeah, it's PR, TV man. With get, the globe. get their name out. Right. It's, it's that, that you don't even have to pay for. And he's like, are you fucking kidding me? And I was like, no, man, they want us to do it again. Like, so what do you, well, of course we're going to do it again. You know, why not? Um, so yeah, it's just a matter of, you know, the way that we carried ourselves, I think. And, you know, that's with anything in life. I feel like if you carry yourself the right way and you build bridges, you know, that are made of steel and not bridges that are made of, of paper and cotton, then those bridges, you'll always be able to go back and forth across those bridges. But those bridges don't have the bridges don't have the the solid foundation. You can't go across those bridges. You have to go back and rebuild them again and try to build them better. So that's why in life and in general, I always try to make sure that, you know, I build my bridges with solid foundations all the way across every time. So I can always go back down that road again if I need to, and it won't be as hard to work, um, you know, to get back that way again. So that's just kind of how I see, you know, that opportunity. That's how I kind of, I see life. Yeah. I mean, I know, in your reality TV stint, people will probably most notably recognize you from The Amazing Race, but you were also a contestant on Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? And I believe their host, that host was uh, Jeff Fox, right? Absolutely. Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy was the host Jeff of Are You Smarter Than yeah, Fifth Grader. Yeah, not Jeff Fox. But uh, I think people need to know this, though. So obviously it's all for money and charities and stuff, but the Glow Trotters, it was you and a bunch of teammates, right? Yeah, it was myself, Big Easy, uh, Derek Grant, and Atkinson, and Special K. We all had a day. It was like Globe Charter Week. We are going to raise money um, for a special cause. And we so all had like an here's episode. What, here's what's the best part. As a team, you guys raised over $45,000 for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I think that's fantastic. But you raised the most money. You raised $25,000. So right. I, I got to ask you a question. Were you smarter than the fifth grader? All right, so I'll give you a little. I'll give you a little inside on Are You Smarter Let's Than the Fifth Grader? All right, so this is what happened during the show. They prep you before you go out there, okay? Oh, <laughs> they pre they prep you as far as like kind of give you an idea if you're kind of close or if you maybe need to go and you know ask a student or you know use one of the lifelines. They prepped us all the same. So for me. Um, I, I, again, I've watched the show before. I love watching reality TV. I like game shows and stuff like that. So I'm familiar with Aria Smart in fifth grade. I didn't just show up there and hadn't, you know, not ever watched an episode of the show. So it's like Jeff would kind of give you like, Hey, you do you want to, he would kind of lean toward if you were going the right way or not. So I just kind of used that, you know, his feedback during the course of the show as to whether, like, if I would say an answer, I think it's this though. Do you want to lock it in? That's almost saying that's a good answer. You know what I'm saying? So, well, you might want if you there's always this other option out here. You can go ask one of the students. You know, I, I'm going to go and ask Ty. That's kind of telling you you probably want to go in. But I mean, I do a lot of uh, public speaking now. I go to like I said, I go to a lot of middle schools and elementary schools. And one of the things I always joke with the kids about 
You know, I say, you know, I was on this show called Are You Smart in the Fifth Grade? And let me tell you, I'm at least as smart as every one of you little jokers in here. So don't try me, you know, because I got all the questions right. But I mean, again, it was just a great opportunity to be able to, you know, represent the brand and, uh, like you said, make, you know, raise some money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I did not go for the, the final big bonus because I had, like you said, raised more money than anybody. I had doubled what we had raised throughout the course of the week. So if I would have got the answer wrong, the money would have dropped back and that would have been a big disappointment to the to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. But like I said, I may not be smarter than the fifth grader, but I'm at least as smart as a fifth grader as a result of my, my time on the show. Hey, you were smart from the team, right? <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, that's, that's bragging rights right there, those guys. And, 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 you know, like I was, I was just telling you about, you know, burning bridges and building bridges and things like that. As a result of my experience on all these different shows, I mean, I've been on Prices Right a couple of times. I've been on, you know, Are You Smart Fifth wait, Grader. You, you were on the Prices Right. Yeah, I did a Prices Right. Big Easy and I, we did a Prices Right after our first uh, Amazing Race. We were actually presenters. We were presenting showcases. We were models, so to speak. Oh, my um, God. Of course, yeah, I was that. the, I, I don't, I I was the hey, that. I was the, I was the good looking model. He was the ugly model, of course, but we were <laughs> models presenting uh, showcases in the showcase showdown. And then we actually went back about three years ago because they had uh, CBS reality show week. They had teams from Survivor, Amazing Race and Big Brother that yep. were on all weekend. We were one of the teams that were able to be on uh, the prices right that time, too. But just like all those shows and all these experiences I've had, you know, behind the scenes, I, we appeared on The Bachelorette for one episode, a couple of teammates of us. Uh, just to play around with some of the guys who were competing for uh, the Bachelorette. But all these experiences for me have kind of led me to where I am right now. Like right now, I actually have a uh, TV contract with the creator of The Amazing Race for a, t a sports game show idea that I've created. And right now we are in the process of pitching it to uh, several different networks to try to get it on network television. This has been going on for now about five months. We've actually only made uh, one pitch, um, which didn't buy yet, but hey, it takes time in the business, and um, if I had not, do you want to go more into that? Not, like, it's just—I mean, I can't really talk into detail about what the show is about. It's a sports game show, but yeah. the lesson is that my relationship with the creator of this show, the way that he respected me, Big Easy, I was able to go into his production company, fly down to LA, sit down in front of his team, pitch two TV show ideas within an hour of me leaving to get a text message saying that we'll be sending you some paperwork within a week. So basically a contract to try to sell this show to further develop it and to sell this show to a network to get it on television. So I know you talked about coaching and all of that. That's something that I haven't closed the door on, but a lot of the things that I'm coming up with are about bringing families together, bringing people together. I have lots of show ideas just from being on all these different shows. And I know that it only takes one for me to get in, in the door and a lot of stuff that I've come up with in my mind are a result of my travels to going to 90 different countries and seeing how the world is and how it's evolved and seeing how people are similar, seeing how people are different. And my ideas are all about, you know, bringing laughter and joy like I've done all of my, my life and my career. But at the same time, bringing the world, even the United States, people closer together as opposed to separating us. So you said, just to make it clear, how many countries have you been to? Do you keep I've been to, I've been to, I, I say close to 90. I've, I've been to about 88 countries. 88 countries. Well, yep. I have 87 more and I'll tell you. 
<laughs> and I do keep count because I have this. I have this app on my phone. It's called Ben. It's called Ben B E E N, and it will. Uh, you're able to track all the countries that you've been to. There was a time when I thought I had been to like a hundred until I downloaded that app. I was like, man, I, I haven't been to as many countries as I want to. So now I get to to figure out how to get to a hundred. I mean, you're a five year old kid from Brinkley, Arkansas. You look right. back. Do you think? Do you dream like your parents growing up? Do they say, okay, yeah, son, you're going to be a Harlem Globetrotter, you're going to be a reality TV star, and you're going to be travel to 88 different countries? Like, what do you say to that? Like, I would, back then, I would have said, hmm, that sounds great, but I don't really see that coming from where I'm sitting right now at five years old, you know? But that's just a, a testament to, we you know, with hard work and, you know, being kind to people and, and representing yourself in a way that people see as commendable and respect, uh, respectable, anything can happen. Um, and I talk about this in my book. I don't know. You know, I just I wrote a book. I released it uh, yep. back in Project, May. It's called Project, Project Popes and Presidents. Popes and Presidents, yep. And my, my journey actually starts when I was about four or five years old. I start to talk about um, my life experience and some of the adversity and obstacles that I faced. Uh, along my journey to getting to where I am, you know, today. And a lot of those things that happened in my life are a result of, like I said, the way that I care. Every major thing that happened in my life, from getting a basketball scholarship to uh, joining the Globetrotters to getting on the Amazing Race to having this deal with this major production company are all because of the way that I was able to carry myself, you know, and and make people feel equal, because people are equal, make them feel Special when otherwise they don't think, you know, that they are, that they, my whole thing was always people would be surprised at how nice I was. And I take pride in being and nice, you know, nice to people. And I say, I tell people, I say, um, you know, surprise people by treating them better than they can even expect to be treated. So like the random person, like walking through Walmart today, I see people when I was in the South, living in the South, you know, people, you walk in, you had the people grid, say, hey, hello, how you doing today? Welcome to Walmart. I went to Walmart today here in California, up here in Sacramento, and they're not even speaking, so I'm going out of my way. Hey, how you doing today, you know? You know, how's your day going? Just asking questions, yeah, just to try to figure out a way, how can I, you know, bring some type of enjoyment or shock them, you know, by speaking to them just as a, a random person. Yeah, and you know, see, I like that because I feel like we're at a stage now in today's life where Every, like there are certain people who wish negative things on other ones. And, you know, I'm not a fan of that at all. I mean, people need to realize how lucky some of us are, like how lucky some of us we have it and stuff. And, you know, wishing negative on other people is just, you know, get the fuck out of here. Like, yeah. just, just stop. Like all of my friends, I grew up with in high school, just because I, I didn't like some of them doesn't mean I'm going to wish them bad. I hope they all do good. You know, I hope all my friends, I hope they all do good to kick ass in life, uh, you know, and if they don't, I'm here for them. Uh, but, you know, with your 88 countries you've been to, you obviously flew a lot. You know, you had tons of time to write this book. And, you know, how did you get the idea or, well, let's start with the name, Projects, Popes, and Presidents. How did you, how did you uh, come up with that? When I started thinking about writing the book, I was trying to think of something that was catchy. And the first thing I thought of was, okay, I grew up in the projects in Arkansas, a small town. So I'll start out with that. That is the base, you know, the baseline projects. That's where I grew up. I grew up in the projects. I lived there till I was 
uh, nine, 10 years old. And then we moved into a house outside of the projects. And then between the projects, I talk about all the stuff that happens in between me meeting, you know, the president. So the first president that I actually met was the governor of Arkansas at the time, Bill Clinton. I didn't meet him, but I was able to shake his hand. Bill Clinton. Yeah, I was able to shake his hand as he came to our school um, on a campaign when he was running for governor of Arkansas re-election. And so I talk about, so Projects Post and President is just me when I, you know, I met the president, uh, President Bill Clinton, when he was the governor. I met Obama twice at the White House. And the last highlight of my career was meeting Pope Francis at the Vatican. But within that book, I talk about, you know, Amazing Race. I talk about, um, you know, some depression issues I've dealt with, like post-career, even during career. I talk about uh, baby mama drama, like all kinds of stuff, just to, you know, just to kind of give people an idea that, you know, things are going to happen in life. Things don't always typically work out the way that you may, uh, you know, dream of them, you know, the way that they should work out. But everything happens for a reason. And the thing about my book is, and I, I remember... I was speaking to um, a former colleague of mine. And he said, the best thing about this book that I like, and I wish I had this mentality when I was younger. And he said, I- I'm going to call it the Herb Lang mentality. No matter what I dealt with growing up or what I deal with today. And in my book, I talk about the things I dealt with, uh, dealt with, but I also talk about how it helped me. There's a silver line in everything that happens. How this bad experience made me think like this or made me this person. So with every negative experience or even positive, I'm always able to find the silver lining because everything happens for a reason. It's all a part of our journey. It's all a part of our story. So in my book, I talk about those things. And it's funny, before we got on this call today, I was just on the phone with my son. My son's 13 years old. He lives uh, up in uh, Endicott, New York, south of Binghamton. And we're mm-hmm. just we're just talking about, you know, sports. He's actually a, a freshman now. He's a grade ahead. He's playing football right now he does basketball baseball but we're just talking about all the things that he has at his disposal that I didn't have growing up and how fortunate he is to have you know his uncle as the the football coach his aunt as the principal at the high school his mom as a school teacher all these things that he have that I didn't have he has access to a dad who was you know a former globetrotter he has access to a guy uh Derek Dizzy Grant who trained Kyle Guy who just got drafted by the Kings who also just wrote a uh, 100-day testimonial that he can read every day to help him, you know, get through his day. And today we sat down, we read the first two days of the testimonial because I want him to know that he has access that I didn't have. And I want him to take full advantage of all these things he has at his disposal that I didn't have. And we're here to support him, you know, every step of the way because I think in the society right now, these kids, they tend to want everything hand it to them. They don't want to work. It's like they call it a microwave society. But one of the things that my friend talks about in his book is what work are you doing when the cameras aren't on, when you're not trying to post that video on Instagram? Are you still getting those shots up? Are you doing that extra rep? Because that's what's going to get you to where you need to be. You know, are you picking that teammate up who's um, down? Are you being coachable? These are all the things I talk about, you know, to my son or and I talk about to kids when I go into schools or when I go talk to teams. These are the examples and the things I talk to them about. So this is, you know, this is kind of where I am right now in my life. And I'm, I'm excited about, you know, what the future holds. Yes. So, hey, uh, so fans reminder, Projects, Popes and Presidents, Herb Lang, must read book. I actually I'm going to order it as soon as this podcast is up. Uh, 
Herb, you know, you mentioned in one thing, your son is getting into that high school stage now with high school sports and, you know, you're a basketball guy. You say he's playing football, baseball as well. When I was in high school, I played basketball. My friends can testify for this. I got cursed at by my coach every day, right in the face. He's screaming in my face. He's doing curse words. And at the time, I'm saying, like, well, fuck you, coach. Like, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Looking back now, I graduated. I love him to death. You know, uh, I talk to him occasionally. Uh, you know, he has high words for me. I, I mean, I love him. I'll go to war with him. Uh, a lot of these kids now, you know, they get screamed at by their coaches and they go tell their parents. Yeah. Uh, or, or they quit. You know, with your son, you know, if you see a kid, I mean, if you see a coach trying to coach, trying to coach him, and if he's like raising his voice, yelling at him, how are you going to handle that? Or maybe you've already had this talk with your son. You yeah. know, how is that going to work? One of the main things I, and I've talked about my son, when he's, he's been playing youth sports forever. The most important thing, first of all, have fun and be coachable. And what yep. that, you know, be coachable, be open to instruction. And my son, he's probably, the, he, he's the best, best athlete on the football team. He's the best basketball player, typically in his, you know, his age range. He, was really good at baseball last year. He led his little league team to the state, uh, you know, playoffs. They ended up losing to the team that uh, – in the tournament to the team that finished fourth, not this year, but the last year from New York with the Bruno kid that was pitching. I mean, he's always been, ex, you know, excelled in sports. But the thing about it is he's he, he falls for some of the same microwave-type society. I can't be coach-type stuff. He think everybody's out, you know, against him, even his mom. He's like, you know, she's telling me this and – my grandfather's telling me that I said, son, it's okay. All these people, they, they're not out to harm you. They want to be a part of your story. And I'll tell them, I say, some of the stuff that you look at on YouTube, look at some of these success stories of these athletes, uh, some of the success stories of these, you know, musicians or actresses. There's always people that they go back to an interview and they talk about, oh, I remember when he was, you know, seventh grade and he was this and ninth grade, he was this and, you know, 12th grade, he got a group of kids together and they, you know, help this kid who had down. These are the, these people just want to be a part of your success story. They're not out to harm you. So you have to take it as that you have to real, not everybody's out to help you, but these people that are close to you, your family, the coaches that have been in your life all of this time, they want to be a part of your success story. They want to be saying that's Nicholas right there. That's my son's name. That's Nicholas. I coached him, you know, in little league, I coached him in peewee league. I taught him how to do this move right here. You know, I taught him how to pitch, pitch a curveball. I taught him how to take the ball between his legs. I taught him the proper way to throw a football. These people are not against you. People are trying to make you better. And when people stop yelling at you, that's when you need to start worrying because that means they, that they have given up on you. So take the criticism. Not, me, myself, I'm not a yeller. I don't yell at people. It's not my thing. I don't get that excited. My high school basketball coach back in the day, he coached me from seventh grade through 12th grade. And he taught me about, actually about seventh grade, he picked up a basketball. He said, this basketball right here, this is fun. This basketball should not make you mad. This basketball right here, this object is to be fun. It's to, to have fun. And that's what you do with it. When this thing right here starts to, if you start to not have fun with it, then you need to find something else to do. And so that's the way I've always looked at it. I, win or lose, I have fun at the end of the day. I have fun. I talk to my son now. I say, you need to start thinking after the games. Because he texted me last week after his game. He said, you know, we sucked. 
I um I hurt my knee. I said, all right, so if I came to you after the game as a reporter and I asked you how the game, is that what you're going to say? No, that's not what you're going to say. You're going to say what the right thing to say is, man, we had a tough day today. I got hurt. It was unfortunate. I wasn't able to help the team, but we get to go out this week and practice and get better and get to move on to next week. I got a great coaches. I got good teammates. But, no, you don't put that out in the atmosphere. We suck. You know, today I talked to him. Yeah, I sat out today because – my knees still hurt and it was boring. No, it wasn't boring. You went to practice, you set out, but you got a chance to look and watch the players practice. You got yeah, a chance watch, to yeah. learn, you know? So it wasn't a sucky day. You had a chance to learn and you have to start thinking like that. You can't put negative things into the atmosphere. Start thinking like a professional already. We talk about social media, the stuff that he puts on social media right now, even as a, you know, a ninth grader. I talked about Josh Allen, who's a Buffalo Bills quarterback. I'm like, I don't think that's a bad kid, but he, you know, a video uh, video or something came out when he was drafted last year that he probably regretted. And But you get to get a head start on that right now because you see where things are going. So just be more cognizant and realize that you live in a different society than I did when I was growing up. So these are just things I try to instill in him and things I try to instill in different athletes when I, you know, have an opportunity to get in front of them and speak. Herb Lang, thank you very much for the podcast. Wait, one thing, Herb, quick thing. Favorite basketball movie, go. Oh, man, my favorite basketball movie. Um, shoot. Mine's, mine's Coach Carter, 100%. Coach Carter. It would have to be the one with uh, Mr. Jesus, Jesus Shuttleworth Ray Allen, who was my, my <laughs> favorite college player. Uh, when I, even when I was in college, he got game. That was probably my favorite all-time one. But before we get off this thing, you know, I want to make sure everybody that, you know, listening have a chance, uh, check out my website, HerbLang.com. I'm, I'm on Instagram. Um, at da trotter four i'm also on um, um twitter as well as facebook um i'm doing public speaking i'm out you know doing that thing in any way that i can contribute or be um of any type of um you know service to anybody just feel free to reach out to me and i'll you know do whatever i can to make that happen herb lang thank you very much fans stay t- the jeremy clausen adventure